Hey folks, here's a quick preview of the second part of episode 252 on Jürgen Habermas's essay, Actions, Speech Acts, Linguistically Mediated Interactions, and the Life World. I'm going to play you two chunks from right near the beginning. We are talking about how whenever you say anything, that statement contains implicit validity claims. It's saying, this statement is true. I'm being honest about what I'm saying. I want you to acknowledge that it's true. And how just that amount of normativity built into everyday language actually provides a foundation for ethics. Traditionally, we think of validity for language through conditional or formal semantics, right? So if a sentence is true, it's true because it corresponds to some state of affairs in the world. Validity is going to mean something more for Habermas. We're going to expand on that. We're still worried about representation. So that's still there, but there are two more forms of validity that he's interested in. One of them is the way in which when we use an utterance, we are expressing our intentions or subjective experience. So when I point to something and I say, hey, look, there's a cat on the mat, I'm not really just pointing to something in the world. I'm telling them something about my own intention and my desire for them to pay attention to my intention, for us to have shared attention, for us to share this particular experience. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is what he calls entering into relations with an addressee, which is the speech act stuff, right? So what am I trying to do with the language? What am I trying to get them to do? Maybe sometimes I'm just trying to say the cat is on the mat. Maybe I'm trying to get them to step over the cat, not step on the cat. So it amounts to a command or a request or something like that. So it's those three different things that Habermas will talk about in terms of validity because I can always reject any of them. I can say you're assuming things that are false. I could say, you're being insincere. You don't really believe that. You're lying to me when it comes to the expressing intention part of things. Or I could say, you don't have the right to ask me to do that. I'll step on the cat if I damn well please. (laughs) So that gets us partly into this whole question of validity. So language always implicitly has these validity claims built into it. You're always implicitly saying what I'm saying is true What I'm saying is appropriate to the situation. This is part of his kind of ethical project, his sort of like Habermas-specific move in a way, one of the more controversial things. There's a point, I think this is on 232, talking about the sort of intersubjective qualities. This suggests, however, that the claim to truth should no longer be defined semantically and solely from the perspective of the speaker. Validity claims constitute the point of convergence for intersubjective recognition by all those involved. They play a pragmatic role in the dynamics of speech act offer and the hearer's taking of a position with his yes and no. Here, once again, he's trying to move beyond what he views as the kind of normal, almost monological speech act approach to one where what's going on has to be implicitly uh, coming to understanding about the way things are. So does this amount to a relativized Kantianism? Pragmatic Kantianism. Yeah. And we all know that pragmatism is not relativism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's a question. Like when we're talking about, say, Nietzsche on morality and people say, oh, if you don't have a bedrock, if you don't have some objective transcendental source for morality, then everybody's just going to run around and do whatever they want. But if somebody like Nietzsche is asking, well, what do you really want? You know, is asking you to look within the logic of what you have already accepted. Well, that's an individualistic, that's still atomistic. What Habermas would ask to that is, what have we as a community that you were a part of, that really yourself is constituted from, what have we decided in some deep sense is ethical action? And that 
the basis for that, again, this essay does not treat ethics explicitly, but we're seeing just where normativity, how could he solve the is-ought distinction by using language together at all, by engaging in these cooperative programs right there, just like if we've both agreed to play chess, then there are certain things you should do. You should move the bishop only in the way that you're supposed to move bishops, and you should be trying to win. And so insofar as we are participants in linguistic communities, we are always already involved in normative commitments that if I want to scold you, maybe I would make you aware of the commitments you've already made and encourage you to be rational and consistent about those. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support and sign up for membership either on our site or on patreon.com slash partiallyexaminelife and you'll open yourself up to the world of details of these part two episodes as well as our more casual freewheeling nightcap recordings. Thanks for listening. Next week is Leibniz's Theodicy, so get busy reading that. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.